0: Welcome to the Upstack Podcast, an ever-evolving conversation on all things digital infrastructure, giving tech leaders food for thought as they push to stay ahead of the technology curve. I'm Alex Cole, and with my co-host and colleague, Greg Moss, we invite you to join us as we talk candidly about the latest technology infrastructure topics. Stay with us. Greg Moss, it's always good to see your smiling face. How are you today, my friend?
1: Doing well, Alex.
0: Always good to see you too. There's so much that we could talk about every time we're together, and we do cover a range of topics. But I know our last conversation on the Upstack podcast, we talked about the we were talking about power and AI, and, and the fact that AI seems like this onion, um, a multi, a many-layered onion. You peel back only to re- reveal uh, more, more that you want to dig deeper, deeper into. But
1: Let's not forget um, the hype cycle,
0: right? We're sitting and, in a- and the hype cycle. Yes. The the rush to the hype cycle and, and that last conversation. I mean, there's so many different directions we could have we could go in coming out of that that last episode. But there is something about you know, that that rush for scale uh that AI has brought on and crypto still, let's not forget about crypto. And with that rush, just the demands for power. If we thought the demand for power was great before, here comes technology that while it's been around for a while it, it seems to be evolving even faster and, and what does that mean what does that mean for for data center providers in particular like how are they handling that that load that that ever increasing
1: demand these are fantastic um, questions and I'm really happy and excited about who we have here today to talk about these things
0: we we've got you know I'd like to think you and I were separated at birth <laughs> But this will be our our first four person podcast, but more about our guests momentarily. Because when we talk about the rush for power, uh, I think sustainability, given the current green green landscape, I think it's some terminology you use in our, our preparation for today's conversation. Sustainability and efficiency certainly come to mind, um, and and climate change, the impact on on our changing climate, and it really begs the question: How, how does sustainability and efficiency factor in to a number of different things, including uh, reducing uh, the cost of technology for for businesses and in many other ways. So I think this is the perfect opportunity to to bring in some, as we always do, some real subject matter experts to to peel a few layers back of the upstack podcast onion. So while we weren't separated at birth, I'm happy to report, nor were our our guests. So today we are very happy to welcome. A dynamic duo who happen to be brothers not only brothers but uh, i am told we'll have to see identical twins so joining us today on the upstack podcast are jacob and zach smith welcome gentlemen how are you Great to see you yeah doing great thanks Alex. thanks Greg. great to see you uh, allow me to talk about you for a little bit uh, so Get zach and jacob you you are you're co-founders of packet the digital infrastructure company which yeah. I believe was acquired what was it 2020 by our friends at, at Equinix, the, the global data center provider, Jacob you in particular, uh, were focusing on uh, integrating and scaling what would become Equinix metal, and I think you led other various aspects of their go- to market strategy and, and marketing, so we have a connection on that front. We can talk we can talk shop in the in the post show, uh, but your focus was on, on customer c- success and, and product-led growth. Um, Give me a beat. big big words there, Alex. Big yes, words. Yes. Focusing primarily on customer <laughs> success and product led growth uh, for startups, developers and, and open source. And, and on that front, Zach, um, you were also at Equinix, uh, given you're a co-founder of, of Packet when it was acquired and you headed up, I think it was Edge Infrastructure during your time there, having recently left both of you. Uh, But you've also been spending the last, was it, four to five years with Open19, the Open19 Foundation, which is certainly something we should talk more about today because it's very much related to today's subject. And and Open19, you're leading innovation in data center hardware and uh, finding sustainability standards for the industry. Greg, we nailed it yet again. I think so. With two guests, let alone one.
2: Do for one special for you guys. So right? well, exactly. <laughs>
0: <Just today. laughs> so so welcome welcome again. We're we're gonna tackle. I don't know how you feel about onions, but we're gonna start peeling here. And as I always like to do, you're the subject matter experts. Greg, I'm gonna include you in that that bucket. Thank uh, you. It's helpful just to set the table for for our listener, or hopefully listeners. Uh, but I think it's helpful when it comes to this idea of sustainability and efficiency and in, in the data center space. Um, getting a sense of of the present landscape. So what is the state of sustainability today as it relates to data centers? I think we should have
2: Zach to do this one first. It feels like right up his alley. You know, know, I was kind of surprised, Alex. You started the whole thing by introducing Jacob and Zach Smith. And I'm just so used to I
3: did that on purpose. Jacob Smith and (laughs) uh, Uh, I I like it. It feels good. Jacob,
0: (laughs) Jacob, he's got he's got marketing chops, so he's gonna get he's gonna get the shine here. The long overlooked marketer, but (laughs) exactly did this one.
2: Yeah, the truth is we are identical twins. I'm an hour and twenty minutes older, so um, I am Jacob's older brother, um, even by just a smidgen. Um, So that's quite uh, a delta, eighty minutes. Yeah, I don't know if we got enough time in this podcast to like debunk the challenges and retro on that with my mom, but you know, we well, can invite her we, on for a little bit more. <laughs> should we
0: bring her in now or should we wait? Okay.
2: I think uh, it'd be a lot longer than 90 minutes we got, but yeah, man, I'd love to cover some of the um, kind of sustainability topic within data center and broadly, I'm going to call it digital infrastructure. Right. Some of us on this call have happened to spend a bunch of our career in data centers, building data centers. Running data centers, using data centers, putting all that things kind in of and stuff. out of data
3: centers, putting them stuff, in right? and
2: out. Um, but the vast majority of uh, the humans in this world don't really care, right, about data centers. In fact, it's largely invisible. Um, which I think is a testament to our industry overall infrastructure is generally invisible to most people and data centers, although we have seen them in the news, you know, recently, you know, picket fence and, you know, um, you know, certain markets or whatnot, they, they kind of like most of the I actually teach a fourth grade class occasionally on this. And most people have think the the entire cloud and data center exists on their iPad, um, until you kind of walk them through it, and they start thinking about buildings they've passed in Manhattan or down the New Jersey Turnpike, and they're like, oh, all those air conditionings on top. I bet that's probably not, you know, a warehouse. Um, But I think the state of data centers today is in a ton of flux, right? And as it relates to sustainability, I think the big focus in our world has been, you know, rightfully so on power, right? It's a big thing of what we do, which is how much power can we get? Do we have enough? Is it in the right places? I always say that getting a good data center requires three things, great power, great connectivity in a great location, and you usually get two out of three. Um, and, uh, you know, power availability has become kind of a major challenge and issue um, for an industry that's just growing at kind of an exorbitant rate. Um, but there's, a, there's a, like a whole other part. Of sustainability, that would be what my world would be. Kind of scope one utilization for a data center company would be the power that it is using. Um, but then there's water, right? Which has become you know a pretty hot button issue. Um, most data centers are air cooled. Uh, they're air cooled with evaporative cooling, um, which takes a, a, a large amount of water, especially depending upon the temperature ranges and you know both inside and outside the data center, the differentials and and, and kind of different environmental concerns. Um, and then there's just the wider concept of waste, right? Um, vast majority of enterprise data centers, I think we've done a lot of improvements over the years uh, with cloud, have very low utilization of the things within it, right? So they're constantly operating at, you know, 2 3 4% utilization. I think cloud is much better. I don't have any specific numbers, but we certainly saw quite a bit working at Equinix. Um, and seeing some of the workload that our customers were doing, um, that was making that a little bit more efficient, but there's still just a massive efficiency game, um, within the utilization of infrastructure itself. Um, and then you have the actual components, the things that are making it, the computers, the servers, the chips, the stuff. Um, and we always think, you know, I heard a great statistic a couple of years ago that 70% of the carbon impact of a computer is making the computer. 20% of a carbon impact is running the computer for its entire life. And 10% is kind of like, you know, getting rid of it, destruction, recycling, et cetera. So like you think about that and we see this big focus on utilization of power, which is important and big and relevant. um, But there's a whole other side as it relates to sustainable supply chain, recycling, circularity that I think is becoming more omnipresent within our space. I don't regularly. know if that answer your question, man. But like, no, it, usually it when somebody <laughs> asks me a broad one, I, I take it.
0: <laughs> I, I only ask broad questions. Uh, I leave the tech, the technical questions to Greg. Alex, you got to uh, be careful though. You've
2: got two <laughs> musician, performer, you know, ex-career people here. So you give us the mic. Like, we're probably going to use it.
1: Alex, we're so that... <laughs> yeah, committed to to doing a, a little uh, to, to finish this off with a little uh, little.
0: I got, that, the, I got the bass in the regular. other room. I actually. That that, that could well, be the new theme song for the Upstack podcast. I think it's only fitting coming. with with Greg I Moss's see. vocal overlay. Yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah, my my heavy bronze vocal. Um, so Can Zach- I give you guys a, a slightly different take before yeah. we move on, Greg. Please. Anyone, anyone? Yes. Love that. I mean, Apple yeah, okay. had some event. Like, was it yesterday or the day before? What's today? Thursday. It was Something. two days ago. Yeah, there's Apple USB-C, does the yeah. Know, yeah some fun. I thought it was fascinating because I went yesterday to go look at it because you know. Might as well have one last cord in the house, right? And um, I was looking on the website because uh, you know they want you to pre-buy it now so you can buy it. Like you package it all up so you can click buy the moment they announce, or uh, let you let you click it in a, in a week or so. And uh, pretty prominent on the page was this, this um, sustainability report for the uh, for each of the products that they launched, and it was uh, pretty detailed. Uh, it wasn't just a, we are broadly green, but so um, you know, pretty much down to like components which are recycled, percentage of uh, you know carbon, you know, all, all the kinds of different stats you would expect, but at a pretty a level. And I think you know, my point there is that this is just in the consciousness of consumers. Uh, obviously, as Zach said data centers are kind of invisible to people, but it's a it's a part of our technology world that's unavoidable. And so, you know, to answer your question a slightly different way is that people just care about it. And obviously, we need to care about it. uh, But it's becoming a business differentiator, like the ability to kind of do better there isn't just greenwashing. It's going to be a competitive advantage um, and not just a cost. And so I think that's really interesting to see a company like Apple's, you know, how do they maintain a premium product and a premium experience? Some of it's in their design and their packaging and their marketing, and some of it's in their supply chain management and 2030 goals uh, and shown that in a really compelling way. So I bring that to the table because I think it's it's inevitable to hit, um, you know, our industry and we see it a little bit in some of the clouds. Google Cloud has a nice little, would you like to get the lower carbon impact VM, Uh, you know, just kind of bubbling that up. And I think we're just at the very beginning of a rapid cycle there, probably as rapid, if not more so than what we've seen with, you know, AI moving from... A cool idea to like a thing people want. Um, yeah, it's a in great point,
2: life. So, Jacob, I think the point there that is so fascinating to me is that we're seeing like a significant amount of leadership there in consumer B two C businesses, right? Apple being a great example. You know, like I'm sure, you know, you you buy a you know a thing of soap, you know, it's going to there's probably a product manager of sustainability at you know, every consumer goods company or a whole team. And what we've typically seen in the digital infrastructure space is sustainability primarily be more of a legal or finance, like regulatory compliance, um, maybe investor compliance to comply with new stuff coming out with, you know, shareholder needs and whatever. But I've seen even like, I think the first company I know of in our kind of B2B space is Cisco, which has you know, uh, Denise Lee, leading uh, head of sustainability product. And this is like, how do you bring the benefits of a circular and sustainable way to users and customers?
1: So say that, because I remember you specifically talking about a circular economy, and that's going to be a little bit further down in the show. But I do want to go back to your original point about these data centers. And how do we, how does a data center like an Equinix, you know, take large components of their facility and make it more sustainable, right? And and are there economic benefits, technical benefits? Like I want to understand that at a data center level, we're going to get to the consumer product level later, but I'm very curious.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of ways that we can peel back this onion and Alex got me all kinds of hungry. I think mean, an onion dip and Super Bowl. I don't know whatever. but, um, you know, if we peel this onion in a couple of ways, like actually the last few years with what I'm going to call the, the, the energy crisis in Europe with the Ukraine conflict and, um, kind of the related reaction there, you know, really made this like not just, um, how do I say, a nice to do thing, a checkbox or a, a green bond or whatever. It's like it turned it into actually making a lot of sense financially, right? Because you had this massive energy costs that were very, very difficult for not only the providers, um, but the the end users or the customers. And then in many cases, you just couldn't get any energy. And it's still the case is this large gap between the demand and the supply. And so there's this race for efficiency, which is awesome. Right. And so I think there's just a, a pure like lever here going on in terms of it makes financial sense, um, just like we've seen in like solar power in the kind of utility space. Right, It makes financial sense to have a more efficient data center. OK, um, but there's a couple of other aspects here that are playing. I really want to separate the difference between single tenant data center solutions and multi-tenant data center solutions, right? Because in a single tenant data center solution, whether it's a large enterprise or a hyperscaler, um, they have control over the workload, right? They know what they're putting into it, they know and can optimize things around maybe kind of a vertical implementation of cooling, um, maybe they can, uh, you know, sing- singularly like raise the temperature within the data center um, for things like that, right? They have a lot of control from end to end, right? Um, but when you're in a multi-tenant solution, you really have very little control, right? Um, a, you might actually have contractual guarantees, which is something I know we worked on at Equinix, which is working with the industry to kind of raise temperatures that we could within the ambient side of intake um, to meet ASHRAE guidelines, um, which was work we had to do throughout, you know, 10,000 plus customer contracts to make sure that we weren't SLA or guaranteeing an intake temperature in a certain way. Right. Um, so things like that, even though we knew the equipment, you know, standards for the past decade to have a higher thermal intake, you know, there was like issues related to implementing just a more efficient way for us and for the customer. Um, And so some of these things, you know, are just kind of complex ways that we deal with efficiencies in a multi-tenant world where you don't control all the components. And so there has been... Can I tag on that, Zach? Or are
3: you done? Because I have a a quick interjection there. Because I think that that is an important point, not only like single-tenant, multi-tenant, but hyperscale and everyone else, right? And so when we get to everyone else, they need a lot of help. They need a lot of help with a lot of things. Um, But including, you know, we've had this nice um, dividing line, like, hey, you know, like, you know, we'll build the data center, or we'll build the data center in the cage, or we'll provide the power. But you know, after that, like you kind of got to do a lot yourself. And I think we've seen broadly speaking enterprises, but let's just say anyone who values technology uh, as, as a core part of their business, but is not a hyperscale yeah. scale, <laughs> um, needing a lot just of help wait, from the almost industry, everybody,
2: right? Which is almost everybody.
3: everyone. Right? <laughs> and and so whether they're brand new and they got a billion dollars in venture funding, or they're the hundred years old and they're transitioning, you know, their business in meaningful ways. Uh, they need a lot of help. These are areas of expertise. And I think, you know, one, one thing we observed, especially as noted the, uh, you know, the power, power issues in Europe, um, very dynamic market, super complicated. Gosh, customers just needed our help. Like they were glad that we were working that, you know, angle of, you know, pre-buying power and understanding the mix of it and how to make it yes more sustainable and efficient and cheaper and whatever i think that that opens up the box a little bit when it comes to things like well what are you doing within the rack how are you cooling your stuff how are you utilizing it they're gonna need help from data center providers people like cisco and dell you know um, msps clouds they're all playing a role i think in helping to frankly move the needle on something that's just too complex for for most companies aren't scaled at that. They're just not. You talked about scale at the beginning. They are not scaled on these issues, and they need our industry scale uh, to come together and support
2: them. How many uh, enterprise companies have thermal engineers on staff?
0: <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll release yeah. an informal poll. I'm curious, Zach, you <laughs> talked about the, the race for efficiency, but on the flip side, Jacob, you're talking about um, you know, I'm hearing with your Apple example and you're kind of reading our mind on the questions, yeah. consumer expectation. I'm not going yeah. to be, I'm not going to give you my money unless you meet certain standards and environmental standards. I, I think, I'm curious who, who's, who's leading there. Is it the, the consumer driving change on the business side or the race for efficiency and, and potential cost savings and alternate energy sources is, is driving the business forward or is it a mix of, of both?
3: You're asking the question to a revenue guy here. So yes, marketing, but really, you know, the way Zach and I often divided the business when we worked on it together was front of house, back of house. And I really liked the front of the front side of a restaurant, right? Everything from, you know, getting you to the restaurant, to taking your code, to to giving you your bill, right? Uh, That part of the customer experience is my jam. And I'm a little biased. I think that we've kind of worked through a big cycle of cloud, right? Cloud has been enormously impactful. It's changed everyone's expectations. What they want, they want cloud. They want that thing, right? Uh, they want operated stuff. But we've moved a lot of the generic workload. And I don't mean that like it's not important workload. It's just a lot of the stuff that's like fairly normalized. And as we get into the non-generic, we're generally talking about revenue generating workload versus cost workload, right, ITE. Things that are like, okay, I want to compress that now. So there's definitely an efficiency angle, but I think we're going to see more and more just because of the stage of the cycle we're in and we see a little bit of that with ai which is like oh i must save my ai costs. it's like no i must differentiate and grow and adopt otherwise i'm going to not be able to pursue my revenue goals um opportunity be a driver for these things as much if not more because because i do think that digital infrastructure and this is kind of you know long-standing opinion on this uh this side of the fence is that you know, at scale, you know, things become more specialized. Hardware and software start being integrated together. They're not generic, right? People care about them. Most businesses are becoming more digital. Digital is getting to be less generic and more specialized, ergo, <laughs> you're going to care a lot about both sides of it. And we're going to have to surround more of the, I'd say, more of the product and revenue conversations with the advantages, not just the sort of cost reductions, although that's a huge part of profitability and, and certainly going to be a big driver.
2: Jacob, you're, you're punching on something there. I, I usually use something like the bell curve workload. It's almost like the bell curve workload had gone with the mass market numbers, like 80% of companies did mainly the same stuff, right, which is run a web app, like have kind of SQL data That's stores and do some storage, <laughs> right? Like, of companies did 80% of their workload with kind of the same stuff. And now you're seeing it very differently. It's the anti bell curve, right? Which is like a small number of companies consume the vast majority of infrastructure on a few very specific things, right? And the most, the best longest serving example is like wireless, telco, right? There's only four wireless companies in the US and they spend, you know, billions, uh, tens of billions of dollars a year on IT. And it's super, super specific to only those four companies. Yeah. And there's no bell curve there, which is why it's pretty hard to do like telco cloud and related, right? Like 5G in the cloudy kind of stuff when your radios and your processors and your things and your millions of subscribers are very unique to you. Um, And I think we're seeing more businesses like that. I think like smart cars and IOT things and like, you know, I'm waiting for the, you know, Apple VR thingamajiggers and related. They're not going to be normal at all. And yet they're going to be a massive technology driver. And so I think we're just going to see more and more businesses operate a space that's highly specialized in anti bell curve. And that's really different than the kind of generic mass market supermarket stuff we've had in cloud that has benefited most kind of what do you call it, Jacob? Like cost driving normally compressed workload that what we had over the past 20 years.
1: So so I think that's great, right? An anti-Bell curve allows us for more control, right? If the masses are doing something a certain way in a big way, like a PUE of 1.2 or whatever it is, right, a, uh, a hyperscale single tenant data center gives us control, right? But let's still talk about, because that, that's a nice world that we're, I guess, heading towards, but there's still... Tons and tons of companies.
2: There's a lot of gaps between that and our little dreamy there.
1: (laughs) And, And, you know, Jacob, you brought up a good point earlier where you start talking about people that are interested in whether it's the thermal or the energy or the efficiency or whatever, right? However, I have 100 clients, right? And there's only two of my clients that are talking about green, sustainability, or caring, right? And I've noticed that both of those organizations are larger on the larger size and seem to have some sort of mandate. Right. So the question becomes, you know, I don't think anybody, if you if you look at a, a, a list of 10 priorities when selecting infrastructure, you know, a lot of the smaller, mid-sized companies, I mean, that's probably number 99. Right. So how do we you know, where's the world going? How do we create, um, you know, or entice these
3: people? Some different data points there, Greg.
1: When I was at Equinix, I was,
3: you know, hanging out with the CRO leadership team, helping them adopt product led growth and do lots of different things around operated infrastructure. And one stat I found interesting is we went from serving, you know, uh, 10 to 20, you know, sustainability reports per year, custom, you know, like, Hey, give me, I need this big partnership with Salesforce that was public about that years ago to doing like 1200, you know, so I would say it matters. The question is, is it, you know, Apple's a great example because they're Apple biggest, most profitable company in the world but also based in California, who this week was passing legislation, as they often do ahead of the national curve around scope three. So it's probably no surprise. Apple wasn't like, you know what I should do is be the best steward. They know it's coming, right? It's coming to regulate them. And some of this is going to simply be driven by requirements versus preference. Uh, so we could all-
0: you uh, there? Your 98,
3: yeah, your 98 well. customer. Well, no, I we probably are not. But I mean, SEC is talking about scope three right now. And in Congress. And, and that's like a problem and it's probably going to get watered down and it's, it's somewhat inevitable. And the question is, is it's also impossible for companies to do right now. I mean, that's really probably why they're not asking for it, but they're going to start leaning on their vendors, right? Yeah. The suppliers are going to get the pressure. So listed companies
2: are already being forced into it. We saw that in the RFP side, pretty much top of every listed company was there because they, a, a, they have to start reporting carbon impact. They, you know, And they're subject, and most of these are global businesses. I'll give you a little anecdote. Um, We, you know, we're required to, like, we got a regulation one of my last, like, months at Equinix, where it was some, like, thing that came from the city of Amsterdam saying you must, because you have servers, computers, not data centers, you have computers um, in the city of Amsterdam, you must report the power saving mode um, of every computer on a quarterly basis that resides within the city of Amsterdam to us in this format, what? you know, like, was it possible to do? No, it wasn't possible to do. They're like, but you have all the computers. So you must tell us that because we really don't have enough energy and we need everything to be more efficient. That's like a local city law, right? I mean, who knows wow. how they would do it, all the other things, but this is like, it's going to happen right? <laughs> um, yeah. whether it's at a big, nice, convenient federal level um, or it's like individual little places, you Singapore. know, Ashburn, Virginia yeah. says yeah. like, you know, Hey, we want this to be this way. Singapore is a great example. Why do we have a Singapore data center problem? Cause basically we're like, we're not going to issue any more permits unless you all do these things, um, this way. And so I think that this is coming, um, and smart companies or those that are investing Greg for the long term, because it's a critical differentiator for the future of their entire company versus like, we need this to be cheaper because it is expensive. Um, you know, those companies, like if they're thinking ahead five years and they got a board and they're like, what are we going to, like, they are, we must do better here. We must start understanding what our carbon impact is. Resources really matter. How are we going to report and account for it? How are we going to reduce it? Um, and a lot of companies, you know, have taken bold steps like net zero goals. How would they get there? Right. I always like to use the, uh, the 2030 net zero goals, um, for companies who have five to 10, five to seven year refresh cycles on their computers and haven't started yet. I was like, I believe it's 2023, almost four. You're inside the window, um, <laughs> yeah. Right, I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and I think it would be hard pressed for any company to, to be able to report accurately on their scope one or scope two, let alone their scope three, on every single carbon impact of every single component in their supply chain. <laughs> like, I understand. yeah. So I think it's coming for the vendors. It's a great opportunity for service providers and other people in the ecosystem to start stepping up with actual offerings and products. And this was what I was trying to make earlier, which is like I personally don't believe. And Alex, you mentioned something like green energy cheaper. I was like, uh, uh-uh, uh right, actually not. Like more value. We're gonna do more <laughs> for you. Um, and th- there's a huge burden. I mean, think was the biggest you know opportunities I see right now in the data center space is move this from a oh, we have to do this reporting for you so that you will buy our existing product into there is a set of value that we're providing for you that is worth a lot and we're going to charge you to deliver this offering, this mm-hmm. new service. And I, I just don't see how the investments can be made without actually turning this into a product and a monetization angle.
3: Wow. Well, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, especially since it's not, it's not, you know, we're at a REIT, right? Equinix is a REIT. It led the way industry in terms of Um, that kind of structure. And so there's a lot of thinking that goes into kind of 20-year cycles of buildings that tend to get more valuable over time. And obviously, as you think about refresh cycles on, I don't know, NVIDIA H100s, (laughs) you know, that don't last for 20 years,
1: let alone do The the need to pump that stock is going to dictate that for sure.
3: Yeah, but also just like the technology, you know, technology is going to change. And so we've been putting stuff into data centers for a long time and kind of letting it work its way out over time but obviously look at hyperscale and you know they're going on three-year cycles at meta and um that's that's like refreshing all of it yeah because of advantages reasons whatever it's kind of another flank here where we've got this circular part that's going to matter a lot more as we start turning the estate over and that gives us opportunity as well right it gives us opportunity to reinvent what we're doing um but you know, like it's, it's hard to be agile with physical things. Like we have to, you can't just apply agile method, <laughs> you I'm, know, to hardware. It's difficult. The cycles are long. It takes
2: time to build get to, physical uh, stuff. RM-RF the data center and recreate it. Yeah.
0: Not so much. But, <laughs> let, let, let's, let's dig into circular. Cause that's come up a few times. The you know, circular economy um, to me, that brings to mind things, you know, hardware, uh, laptops, iPhones, you know, some people get a new phone every year, some, every two, if not more, uh, potentially a significant amount of tech waste. Where does that go? How is the circular economy currently applying to data centers specifically?
2: Can I start? Jacob? I just want to, <laughs> I just want to say something. Um, so, uh, I think in some ways, both cloud and data centers have, um, really moved the needle on um, circularity. Both are recurring revenue businesses. They're paid for outcomes, not widgets. So things in an as-a-service model, in my personal viewpoint, cause an economic reason to pay attention to the right things. Like who who has the cost of operating an inefficient data center? A data center company. And they like, don't get new money for that. It's not like they charged an NRE, built a data center and walked away, right? They have to operate it. And so I think that's good because it causes the right kind of tie between economic outcomes and like, you know, um, efficiency and whatnot. Uh, so I think the as a service model has been a great boon, both in cloud, um, and in kind of data centers in general. I think really where we're struggling is that when I look at the carbon impact of a square foot of data center, certainly significant amount in, you know, core plant and equipment, concrete, and all the other things that go into building the actual building. But then you put like, you know millions of dollars per square foot of hardware into those things that all have a significant um you know carbon impact and right now i think the biggest opportunity is to introduce first and foremost we started the conversation with this concept like the cloud is mainly invisible and you said something like a laptop if i get a laptop i i'm like pretty conditioned not to throw that in the trash can right i take it to e-waste there's city programs Dell's going to take it back. I can go to Staples. Like there's a lot, and my kids know lithium ion batteries are bad. Like don't put those in the trash. Like there's lots of things built into it. And I suspect there's actually cost structures built into it from a consumer standpoint that like, Get paid for as part of those recycling programs and take backs and other things like you that. like
3: okay. trading your iPhone when you upgrade. I mean,
2: it is part of the product. or some yeah. great product management, which is like, would you like to? And I'm, you know, I'm pretty sure Apple's not taking that iPhone and throwing it in the trash. They're doing it and like taking apart all the pieces, melting out and all the palladium and putting it back into a new iPhone. <laughs> um, and uh, but that's not happening in the data center, right? Um, which is right now most people think of the data center as you put stuff in it and oh my gosh, I hope I never see it again, right? And we found it to be one of the biggest issues we have in a multi-tenant data center is, like, getting rid of the equipment. Like, what happens when you're done? But first off, nobody knows. It's all kinds of a hodgepodge of, you know, kind of deconstruction slash disposal companies. Um, You don't really get to return it to the manufacturer. There are no programs, as far as I'm aware of, that you can reasonably expect to, like, click a button and take back all your things to different OEMs and ODMs and cable manufacturers and things like that. Um, And so I think it's kind of the dirty little secret of the cloud because it's out of sight, out of mind. And I think it's an opportunity that we can really, I mean, I think one of the easiest, most awesome, if all you data center people um, are out there, please introduce a paid recycling program, um, like charge your co-location customers money. For destructing and recycling back to the OEMs, you, the hardware in the data center, like they will love to pay, right? There's some issues there, like data destruction and very like put, put screws through my hard drives, but you know, there's all kinds of issues that we need to work through. Um, but it seems like one of the biggest opportunities is appropriate, re, appropriately recycle. Yes, you know, the hardware, by, by, it's not free. Right. Um, so, so like you, even- you,
1: walk of, you walk out of Whole Foods, right. And there's three bins there for compost, for paper, for trash. So again, I know it's dumbed down substantially, but same concept. I mean, there's one data center out there that's doing this and it's Iron Mountain. They happen to have a disposal portion. And it's not, it's not even promoted properly. So I, I couldn't agree with you guys more. And I think it starts here should we manage, should they be fined or should they be required at some level to do something? It's a revenue generator. I mean, you said it yourself. Well,
2: I think, I think that, you know, very soon you're going to start to see um, procurement sides and related force the suppliers to be like, I am not buying that computer unless you give away for me to give it back. Like you have to guarantee your scope three supply chain for me. So, like, how are we dealing I'm with? Not,
3: I'm not taking that on for you. Me. I mean, that's not something you want to buy with your brand new server. Is the the long tail emissions exactly? Problem. <laughs> and, and you so want I someone think, else to do that? Yeah,
2: yeah. I think there's going to be push and pull there. It's going to go to the OEMs and whatnot. Certainly, they can't burden it. So, I think it's going to be an awesome opportunity for the data center operators to be like, guess what? We created a program, and you can, for only $100 a month per rack, we will put on your, you know, end of life protection program, right? Which is works with these 10 OEMs and we take care of it in a sustainable way. And we know that it's not going to end up in a landfill. Like we know that it's not going to just get trashed by some random provider. It's I think it's an awesome this opportunity. It's all in the
3: bucket of they need more help, right? Again, we go to hyperscalers. We had companies like IT Renew, which I think was the one you guys were talking about with Iron Mountain. Um, you know, did a great job taking hyperscaler three-year refresh stuff and turning it into valuable bits for enterprises because they're like, cool, it's like... Half price, you know, three year old stuff. I love it. Um, That's not the growth of the future, right? That's an important part of the supply chain, which is fairly homogenous, right? And yet, as we look again at the the rest of it, which I think the rest of it is not just like, you know, a dog's breakfast. This is actually really valuable, and we can create thousands of companies innovating with technology. They're going to need a lot of help to do it, right? Not just from a regulatory standpoint, but they got to move faster, right? They got to be able to take advantage of that H100, you know, and, you know, whatever, right? And so I think there's a lot to it. And, you know, my general um, sensibility on it, Greg and Alex, is that at some level, every enterprise becomes a service provider or has one within them or borrows one from someone else to do their thing technology-wise at scale. And that's going to include a lot of this efficiency, circularity, sustainability stuff, because you're going to have to be expert at it in order to lead the market in it. If it's not important Mm -hmm. to you, you're going to push it on someone else and hope it goes away. I don't think that's a long-term
2: option, you know, long-term like five years,
1: yeah. 10
3: years max. Right.
2: And, and so the last little change I wanted to point on there related to the circularity aspect was the business model shift, right? That's going to, it's already happening with OEMs who are coming out with as a service offerings, which means they own the asset. So now they're much more attuned to, well, how do I retrofit that piece of hardware versus trying to sell a new piece of hardware how do i extend the life of the asset versus trying to give you the new model every year you can see the whole way that our industry works is like yeah all that stuff i sold you last year yeah that's no good this year's model is the best and i look at like the most stayed you know industry in the world like automobiles who has like how many different ways can you choose to utilize an automobile. You can buy one, you can lease one, you can finance it. You can get it via Uber. You can get a rental car. Like they even have like subscription programs from a couple of companies. Like there's lots of ways to like have access to an auto- We have like one way to get access to a server. It's either like cloud or like buy it. <laughs> and so yeah. now we're starting to see this whole, like a little bit of a subscription model, HP GreenLake, Dell Apex. Cool. That means those oems are going to care a lot more about how it's made how i can take it back how long i can use it for you know how i uh you know the refresh cycle and then that will also push to the silicon manufacturers who currently do not have kind of any you note. Know, i don't think any of them have subscription revenue of note on their P&Ls when they report their quarterly revenues but like eventually wouldn't we want you know intel nvidia amd like they sell you a access to their IP, you know, processor and whatever, like, wouldn't it be great if they actually made more money if you used it longer? Like right now they, they make less, right? Cause they can't sell you something new. And like, that is in my opinion, the big shift that will have to happen if we want circularity to become real. Like we can't, we can't overcome those kind of the industrial logic of the major part of our industry, silicon and OEMs not having a subscription model. They got to move to that. And if they do, like, it's going to change the entire. And I think data center industry has a huge role to play in that because who's going, we already know how to do monthly billing. We already know how to put it in and out in theory in places. They're probably ending up, you know, at our, at our physical spaces. Um, And so there was a real partnership that I think could happen to remake how the industry works and think about, you know, the revenue models, right. And the services, and this is what it has to be. It has to be Extra services because I doubt high-margin Silicon businesses want to take on cheap financing as their their new model, right? So they're going to have to like have a new lever, right? More value versus just like more financing. Yeah,
3: yeah. And I was going to add and one one thing that we talked about taking things out. Sorry, Alex, but um, you makes me think about that little. Opening around Open nineteen, which is now called what's that? What's Open nineteen? SSI called?
2: man, sustainable and scalable infrastructure. SSI. SSI, yeah, yeah. You know, in, in the way Open nineteen <laughs> it was, started, just it was just yesterday, Alex. A- so it's just yesterday. <laughs> it's news. Breaking, news. News. It's brand- breaking, breaking news. news! Breaking news! Breaking news! <laughs> you heard it here
0: first. Everybody, Everybody stop.
2: <laughs> <laughs> the data center open source thing has changed its name. <laughs> Dinner table conversation at seven. <laughs> but I always found it intriguing that you
3: know, kind of genesis, you know, you know, for for LinkedIn and Evolve and Open19 at the very beginning. I think the trajectory of that particular project. You know, I'm going to dumb it down because I'm just a marketing guy. But like, get rid of the cables, basically. You know, so you can slide stuff in. Slide it out, which makes it a lot easier. You know, I mean, oh my gosh, the beautiful cabling that is done. You can't—that's a work of art. You can't undo that. I mean, there's all kinds of gravity around, like just put it in and leave it there and don't touch it. Monetize it, sweat it, make it last as long as you can. Some of that's okay, but like as we think about how to make technology, which would you say like 70 percent of it's like making oh, the thing and getting I think it was an it study, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Getting it from China to Mexico, back to Taiwan, and then over to Sweden, where it lives, I and mean, that's where most of our okay. How do we make that more efficient too? You know, and move things around. The three R's, Jacob. Just
2: reduce, reuse, recycle. The, th- the middle one is the best. Like if we could just. I take think it from... that that
3: phrase is actually kind of of the vintage of Greg's T-shirt. Oh, reduce, yeah, it is. yeah. It is. <laughs> reduce, reuse, recycle. Right, you know, I, and I, dare.
1: Clients of... ask me for a cable that they can't get because they shipped everything to a data center right? And they're missing this one cable and it needs to be installed. One thing. They people from, you know, God knows where to set up servers. So. I mean, I yeah. if well, I reduce, can... reuse, recycle, right? And I think that, that that
3: certainly holds true for this problem. We just have kind of an interesting pressure because everyone, that sounds good until suddenly it's like, Oh, it doesn't matter. I have to do generative AI right now, no matter what, make it go. And, you know, I think we have to, again, offer up solutions, that are holistic and and we have to solve those challenges as an industry. I don't think that we're just going to expect our enterprise customers to do it, you know, on that side of the house. I think on hyperscale it's totally different.
0: Yeah. The regulations come in, the mandates come in, the the natural evolution of the the technology comes with it. Zach name rebrand aside, Mm -hmm. anything else you want to share about SSI? Give us a little more color into the mission of the organization.
2: Totally. Uh, so it's a project within the Linux foundation and, you know, these challenges, it's focused on kind of standards, creating standards. Um, first and foremost within the rack with open 19, which was how to have a more efficient, um, rack deployment model. So computers power shared power shelf. So you don't have to put two $600 power supplies in every server with tons of copper. Okay. Right? You could have one power shelf, um, how to reuse sheet metal. So you don't have to like, throw out the entire chassis just because you want to upgrade the CPU um, and shared cabling, right, which is more efficient, kind of blind mate connected cabling. Um, And so uh, we started there. um, And what we found out um, through years of going through this was that there was really a need for an open source community that was not hyperscale dominated. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I just think like the needs of somebody who buys a million servers a year are just super different from somebody who buys like 5,000 servers a year. Um, and, uh, we, we found the need for a community to come together, um, around these challenges and problem sets. What I think is so cool. Um, and I can learn this from my time in open source and software, um, which is, uh, easier in a lot of ways, cause you can collaborate with basically a zero cost basis and creating, you know castles in the sky um, it's very different when you're innovating on physical hardware standards power cooling we uh we recently finished the v2 spec which focused on aligning with ocp and the industry around something as simple as the coupler size and location of liquid cooling um cables right like it, it, so we don't keep moving them from side to side so we don't like have different ones so that way, like across the world, you could go into a data center and they wouldn't bar you at the door saying, no liquid allowed, <laughs> right? Um, you can't bring a coffee cup in and somebody wants to bring a vat of some weird chemical, right? <laughs> um, you know, like, and so, you know, I think like these, these issues that we worked on actually showed this need for and, and, and kind of very inspired by open source software, that the d- a diversity of constituents in a very dispersed market from... Silicon manufacturers, to OEMs, to data center financing, to like operators, to cloud people, to end users who never really have a great forum for coming together and figuring out like, well, should we put the liquid cooling two-phase coupler on the left or on the right? Like, should it be this size or that size? Everybody has an opinion. Like, everybody's got one. But can we agree? Because like, we know that if we agree on a standard or a set of them, it all like, we'll be able to roll out, say, liquid cooling or heat capture systems you know, to Explode the vast the majority max. of data centers. What's that? Yeah, Betamax. Yeah, it's, this is what it is, right? Just like, can it. we just work <laughs> off of one? And Open19 um, is a little bit different um, than OCP because we don't require any of our members to kind of contribute and open up all of their own IP. So whatever you put inside the server, it's up to you. So like, you know, uh, a Supermicro who participates doesn't have to open up all of its you know, special board designs and whatnot, just to participate in a form factor discussion. Um, so that's really powerful. But I think there's more to do. Um, we've, uh, we have, that's why we rebranded the organization to SSI, which is, we think it's more than just the standard related to, to rack level hardware. Um, so some of the ideas that are being incubated right now are things like reusable packaging, right? If servers are all kind of the same size, why do we basically package them up. And then the second they come into a data center, we throw out all the boxes because the data center operators like, get rid of all those boxes. It's a fire hazard. And then we plug in all the servers to find out like five of them don't work and we have no boxes. And we can't ship it anywhere. And we can't get it back. Very inefficient. <laughs> um, and so like the amount of waste we have just in packaging, just imagine if we could bring a standard or reusability around that, right? Um, similarly related to some of these challenges on, you know, how do we describe um data destruction how do we change slas to support liquid cooling where does it start where does it stop could we work on one you know as an industry and come up with a way that would work for all of us versus trying to all recreate and negotiate and figure out like does the sla stop at the rack does it stop at the breaker does it stop at the you know building system these things like we'll do way better as a community of diverse constituents. So yeah, super excited about leveraging that for further work. Um, I'm no longer the chairperson. Chairman Zach is, uh, you know, mm-hmm. it's held by somebody yes. um, who is a member company, which Equinix is. So my Tron has taken over that with Chris Village and Stoffel from Cisco, um, and I'm just an independent uh, member helping to you know push and prod and
0: move it along. So still, still very much a part of the the movement. We're breaking news here. We've got the Open nineteen rebrand, and Greg Moss, not a fan of Betamax. Greg, I told you I moved the laserdisc a long time ago, dude. a long catch time. Up. Yeah, long time.
3: So, you guys cool. ever have a, you know, if you ever have a spare moment to listen to someone else's podcast, you know, I mean, this one aside, right? Of course, gotta tough, yeah. right research, but there was a, there was a. A podcast, Planet Money in 2000, whatever, 17 or so, did a podcast about going to space because, you know, they were doing something about, you know, the space industry and whatever and got uncovered the CubeSat project, which, you know, started out like Berkeley with a project, but long story short. Stanford, Stanford, yeah. Stanford? Okay. Berkeley, Stanford, very close by. But (laughs) either way, the idea of collaboration and form factor and simplicity so you can take something to space kind of been around for a long time. And, you know, we used to joke that it's easier to get a, you know, a satellite into space than a server into Singapore. And in some ways it's true, which doesn't matter if you're doing it once and just leaving it there and it's not super important and you can plan it a year or two out or whatever refresh cycle you got. But if it's like more urgent slash dynamic, um, which I hope it will become so, so we're not just over deploying and hoping someone buys it, right? Uh, This kind of like standardization and industry levels, super impactful. And I think working with, you know, between OCP and SSI, you know, that kind of stuff, it's just, it's, yeah. you know, it's, it's really critical.
2: Yeah. Our, dream it? always, it's our dream was always within, within Open19, our dream, Greg, was always like, could you get plus one new server into a market for like $20 and a, and a shipping cost? Like, so that way you could just in time gear when you needed it. Or if you can move it because it's no longer being used over there, but you could move it over here and extend the life. Yeah. Like those things would be huge for our industry. But right now, it's so onerous to put something in or take something out, you just don't do it. Right? It's too hard.
1: And that's why the standardization uh, it plays such a critical role.
2: Yeah. Like, is it a slot? You know, I, I wasn't really inspired. I had learned a lot from the early days of the telecom industry when. I think it was probably the Bell system got rolled out in the U.S. where they're building a central office in, like, every town of America. Well, guess what they did? They standardized it and made it all feel the same. They could train an army of technicians who knew how to service it, who could go into it. And we don't have that. Like, we need some standard form factors, especially as we move to more advanced systems like liquid cooling. How would we possibly train and support the data center techs who would be, like, Hey, so I just got here and I'm on remote hands call and you said I should like fix the RAM disk, but there's all these weird cables coming in and out with fluid. <laughs> like, which one do I pull? Right. Like, you know, like they're going to say, like, I do no, It's can't. just a WhatsApp chat though, isn't it? It's, oh, not, it's, a, WhatsApp yeah, yeah. it's a WhatsApp chat. Yeah, it's WhatsApp chat. Um, and so like, I think that like, we need some standards just like for the mechanical side of just our industry training, getting people comfortable with, I mean, I remember first time at Equinix, we walked in with some liquid cooled servers, like I got an escalation from the head of facility operations globally saying like, our team is not okay with you having it. What we ended up doing was doing a training program, walking them through, you know, it was dialectic fluid. So it evaporated. Like we showed them how to service it. They needed a lot of support so they could feel comfortable, you know, because they were accountable for maintaining that facility. Right. It's just interesting, you know, how much work that we need to do as a community. So we've also just thought about training and documentation as something that SSI can produce for our industry to help accelerate the adoption of liquid cooling in particular, which I think is going to be quite, quite important towards our, our sustainability goals. You know, all in uh, we the think weekends about this man. at all yeah.
1: you know, liquid cooling is something that Alex and I have noodled on for quite some time now, right? Because yeah. we're, there's this, there's this uh, back and forth on you know immersion versus chip-based cooling like a zutacore right? right? And it's it's just beta super. BetaMax
2: versus versus. Uh...
1: Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just, uh, is immersion the BetaMax? I don't know. Yeah.
3: It's, well, we want the laser disc one for sure, and then the yeah, laser, it for sure. yes. and then it's yes. yes. a little it's more great.
0: difficult to store, but still. You know, <laughs> well, I think that there's... there are like there's a lot
2: of different technologies out there right now. Um, they all have their pros and cons. You know, I think you, we tried to work and we worked through a significant amount of these religious battles, right? Um, during our, our Open 19 V2 working groups, which were every Thursday, 9 to 11, with a bunch of mechanical and fluid engineers on the phone. Right.
0: <laughs> with each other.
2: Um, but what we ended up doing was just backing out to where we could agree on like coupler size across single and two things. We could agree on flow rates from a building system. We could aggr- agree on you know, certain parts that, hey, we need to build 20 year infrastructure around these components. These other things are going to evolve much more, you know, rapidly. And I think that I wouldn't be surprised, granted, that over time, I'm going to get a little weird here. Um, but like I don't think we'll have form factors of servers look at all how they look today. Imagine instead of servers that look like 19 inch rock things that you have to be able to put in any IT class in the world well, why not just have like a cartridge that's fully enclosed liquid thing that you put in a slot, you know, like, like a video game, like a Nintendo cartridge, you had to it's blow nice. on it at first and put it in, you know, Ooh, but like, yeah. why, why not a totally different form factor for fully immersed, yeah. right? Only because it's too hard for us to work as an industry right now. We don't know how to do it. And I, I do believe um, that we together in a community driven way can move to innovate and say, Hey, that's possible. If, hey, Most computers are never going to be touched by a random enterprise. They're going to be done by a service provider. And we have like the 10 biggest data center service providers all hanging out, working on this thing. Like we could probably come up with a way where this worked for everybody. And then we like wouldn't with all of our, you know, regulatory, environmental, you know, umph out in the market and made that happen with certain OEMs. Like it's it's actually, what's funny about our industry is actually pretty concentrated. Like 10 data center builders, five OEMs, three silicon people. You have basically the whole industry.
1: We all know each like, other.
2: yeah, it's like not very big, but we just don't have a good I'm actually excited to be you know outside of Equinix because now I can work with other data center operators. actually they were a little shy about coming together. It was in a good way. We're like, hey, we get Equinix and DLR and Databank together to talk about how we're all going to do this." And they were like, "Oh, definitely not. we're not doing that." And I was like, "Why not? You know, in software, we're used to that, actually, right yeah. We do it all the time and i think um in uh in data centers we don't really have that habit and so i think getting along that we've seen a little bit like um, what dean's done in infrastructure nations has been a good example we need to practice those more because together we have that we can make it work with a lot of really smart and passionate people who all care about i believe the same outcomes yeah. um we just don't have great great mechanisms for making it happen right now
0: a bit of a segue somewhat you know cloud obviously is 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 come up a bunch throughout this conversation. We certainly support our customers on a number of different cloud deployments. I was Mm -hmm. reading the journal, I could have been last week or last year. I think, uh, this article quoted that two thirds of technology leaders were not seeing the return they expected from their, their cloud investment Mm -hmm. and therefore seeking more flexibility. Frankly, this kind of supports Greg, what we're doing with our customers and, and how we often find ourselves advocating for a hybrid solution. Um, I'm curious how this idea of sustainability in the data center relates to cloud or hybrid. And and is there anything that we can be doing, given our close connection with our customers, to better emphasize efficiency in in that strategy? Before I have
1: have the Smith brothers answer that, I want to add to it. Because we will talk
0: for 10 minutes and
2: not let you ask (laughs) any more
1: questions. (laughs) For (laughs) the story, we need content. Give us more. Um, you know i've always pushed and this is one of the things i loved about equinex is that you guys ultimately fell into a position of true hybridization right you had this fabric you had the metal you had the colo all these fun things and i've we've been advocating hybrid for a long time and so you have yeah. these small companies that are saying i want to i think i want to go to the cloud right and they finally get there and they realize it's 30% more expensive than it should be right so where yeah. do they really belong but, but then they're going to lose these efficiencies we all talked about, right? Because they're not following certain guidelines. You know, what's the right thing for them to do? Do they do they go into a less economic environment, right? Uh, for them, that's more, I guess, sustainable from a green standpoint? Or do they stay where they are and go into a hybrid environment? I know it's kind of you weird. Lay
3: down on my couch and tell me about your childhood, right? I mean, <laughs> I think it's a uh... – it's complicated and it is expensive to do various things. Uh, I'll give you my perspective. Zach can correct me on all the things he thinks I did wrong. But, um, first of all, I think cloud is an experience, not just like product called public cloud, which we understand as an industry very well. But customers are like, give me that thing where it all works better, faster, and my developers are happy. Right. And someone else deals with all the stuff. I think operated uh, infrastructure and operated services are pretty, you know, important uh, when you just can't do it fast enough or great enough yourself. Um, now, if you can have that cloud experience and have some of your other choices with it too, like, oh, I need it locality or I want it on different hardware with the different cost basis. I want to own some of it. I want you to lease it to me, you know, OEM, whatever. Hybrid, right? I think, um, sure, yes. And I think a lot of customers would say, yes, please. Actually, I demand it. But they're probably not going to go backwards on the experience of cloud. Cloud has provided a whole sense of automation and resiliency and global Access and all these great things, ecosystems that people don't want to give up, and so I think that to me that the cloud just goes everywhere. The experience of cloud, if we do our job right, and then it becomes like, well, what kind of opinions do you have that you want to prioritize? It could be about economics. I think that's the least interesting one of them, <laughs> um, although of course it's real. uh But there's a lot of costs baked into infrastructure that's more than your cloud bill, and I'm not making an argument for public cloud is expensive or cheap, depends on what you're doing, right? Depends how good you are at managing it. But, you know, we're with a company last year that had major relationships with each public cloud and also a major global deployment in their own data centers. And they had close to 50 people managing procurement for their own data center stuff. And they had one person assigned to each cloud. That was pretty good, clear economic incentive. It didn't have anything to do with their cloud bill. Obviously, do they have the people? Are they keeping? You know, you know what kind of expertise are they having in their company? What does it cost for them to do something? How quickly could they respond to an opportunity? So I think it's super nuanced, and the kind of cloud repatriation um, economic angle to me falls a little flat. I think there it's real, uh, and economics for things you really care about that you're building your business on. You know, okay. that's Optimize.
2: like obviously critical. So,
3: okay, is that correct? Correct the Jacob.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to put two things. I totally agree. The first one is that for most people, I think cloud is really what I saw with enterprise really about digital transformation, which I used to hate that word. I was like, oh, that's just word salad. Right. But actually it's, it's like a real like process people go through. They're They're investing in the digital like bones of their company and getting to a point where they can leverage off of kind of more automation or. I'm going to call it primitives that are highly automatable and global, um, really helps with that, right? Helps with the transformation in the people and the capabilities of a large company. Um, and I think that's pretty different from like most people's IT, right? Moving into a place where technology is our weapon versus it's our cost. driver. So I think that's a big part of why people go and use cloud. Um, and so, it, I don't think it's as easy as thinking about hybrid because you have to think like: Is my organization ready for that? Do I have the tools and capabilities to do that in a hybrid manner? Do I have the? Is is my service provider what I am going to do in on prem or in outsource colo or something like that able to deliver that to me, or do I have that internally? Because my real goal is to get developers to have cycle times of a week versus a year. That's my real goal, <laughs> maybe.
1: Yeah, right?
3: or other um, related, other related goals there that we talked yeah. about for the previous hour. You know, where you want someone as a service provider to manage your problems and opportunities related to sustainability or security yeah. or whatnot. Yeah, and so I think hybrid for sure is the way. The question is, who's helping you do it? And are who's you How you much are you doing on your own? If if that was my next point.
1: Going into a single environment, how are they going to struggle to get? I, I understand it. it is a challenge. Yeah. Um, and Jacob, just to correct myself, I maybe mean, I didn't explain myself correctly, I was referring more to the big three, right? It gets really expensive, but there's, yeah, the whole layer, mm-hmm. there's a whole layer of these secondary cloud providers, right? Like whether it's Deft or High Velocity or whoever, right? That yeah. do a really, right. really good job um, at uh, exactly yeah. what they're doing. They may not have every bell and whistle, but the cost basis is substantially yeah. lower. So, I, think, um,
3: I I forget if it was AMD, Zach, back in the day, a couple of years ago, I used to really think about specialty cloud providers, right? Like yeah. I mean, right now we're like the public clouds and the tier twos, and that's kind of industry parlance for like, how big are you? Um And I think we might see, you know, the mobility and the, the telecommunications and the various, you know, the AI clouds, you know, just as much as we will the sort of big guys and small guys. And mm-hmm.
2: uh, you know, that's a prediction.
3: We'll see if it happens,
2: but I think it's absolutely going towards specialized cloud, MongoDB Atlas, e.g., the database cloud is a big business now, and people yeah. rely on. And like, I want that expertise of that one thing versus, you know, um, the, the kind of uh, the overarching one-stop shop, right? And I think people are getting much more comfortable with that. They already do it with security, like with Akamai or Cloudflare, you know, and 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 I think that it's going to become more and more common. The second point I was going to make was around global. I think we in our industry do a really poor job and I'm gonna use the, the the whipping boys and gals of data center and, um, and OEM. If you wanna, most companies I've worked with over the past couple of years, think in a global lens, right? With technology, they're thinking everywhere. My customers are everywhere, my users are everywhere. I, I need to have the flexibility to be kind of everywhere-ish. But data center companies sign contracts with you and assign sales reps like on your local and where the data center is. Like it's all very localized. It's super as if we're gonna roll up in our pickup truck and rack and stack a server in the rack. Like that's gotta change. You gotta yeah. think globally, right? Which means global contracting, global usage, portability, single account team, like US dollar pricing you everywhere. Know. Like, you know, <laughs> one bill, like one bill, right? Like like these things are such a burden, like because we haven't evolved um the way we work to be global like we're still thinking like well i got my sales team for the northeast using the thingamajiggers and we're gonna you know assign you there and it's just not like how i think most companies are acting so cloud has done that cloud is like really good i always thought that most of what i've done in my career of cloud and hosting has not been turn computers and networks on but has actually been metering, billing, global contracting, and consumption models. And that was like the actual thing that we worked on almost all the time, uh, which is why, Greg, you know, the bill- billing systems and metering systems and the invoicing things like to make that happen. Um, and I think the second part of that, you know, is just the kind of experience and, and self-consumption model, right? Um, that whole PLG concept, product-led growth, e.g. the user, the human, the creator, the developer, the sysadmin, needs to have access you know, two things is still a gate right now. Like the whole um zero to nine months to be able to put a rack of computers in Sydney is a total buzzkill to somebody who is you know paid for innovation, right? Like, yeah, what did you ship this month? Is like they're going to go somewhere else where they can make it happen. Yeah. And negotiating like a three-year term on a something or other so I can try it out is just a non-starter. And so we're going to have to, I think, as an industry do some work there um, between OEMs and data center companies, which currently, you know, frankly, it's just kind of like running through a barbed bar wire fence. You want to go global. Yeah. And that's not very fun.
0: Not, not fun, so, so I hear. We have a lot of technology leaders listening, uh, owners of IT budgets. We've covered a lot of ground. I think, Greg, in fact, we're going to need a, another onion because this one's pretty well, well peeled, but not a tear in any of the eyes on this podcast, which is a good <laughs> sign. Uh, <laughs> Why don't we go in reverse birth order? How about that? One piece of advice for the listener, when it comes to sustainability, and, and be it the data center or more broadly. I got it. It's easy. It's
3: I mean Ted Lasso gave it to me last
0: night. It's so easy.
3: <laughs> it's like curiosity, right? You got to be curious about these things, not just try to get rid of them. And so whether it's sustainability or the evolution of technology, like. AI, developers, software, open source, these topics are not going away. Um, be curious, right? Be curious about how they work, how they could work. Um, set aside. I mean, I always used to give advice to my clients when I was in the consulting business. It's like, you don't do it all the time. But how about like an 80-20 rule or 70-30? You know, make sure that you're spending 20-30% of your time being curious about things that probably don't make sense to you right now, but are going to be an important part of your language in your tomorrow. Uh, so... Ted Lasso says, be curious. He was just quoting Walt Whitman. So we'll go with that.
2: Um, I would uh, play a little bit off of it and say, like, listen, there's no silver bullet. Nobody's got this figured out. Right. And so let's lean in as a community. Most most complex, hard problems we can solve together. And so find the right partners, create open forums, join organizations where you can talk about it, be a little bit vulnerable. Like, you don't have all the answers, that's OK. No, does anybody else. Um, but we can learn from each other and we can probably do better together. Um, and so finding those partners and ecosystems that you can um, kind of invest some of your time in, as Jacob's putting, maybe it's your ten percent, your twenty percent, maybe your five, like you put it up there, you put it out in the universe and you spend some time with people who also are thinking about it in an open and vulnerable way. I think um, we'll move the ball forward.
0: Leave it to to Zach and Jacob Smith when asked for professional advice to give us life advice. I don't know, I don't know where I else mean, we I mean, it's so could... much easier. It's, Jacob is and... three years late to Ted Lasso, so. You know, I was I gonna know. ask. I'm like, I, like totally I, that, late, but that's it's not a it's new fresh again, show, there. right? It's, are you gonna go to Twin Peaks next? Is that next <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a great idea, actually. Let me take it's, some it's, notes here. Hold it's on.
1: It's, But you know, in
2: all seriousness, I've been saying be no, a I goldfish Jacob, actually. Jacob's been looking at me like, what?
1: I was like, excited you're going you to me about? to be joining us. It was pretty cool. And Zach, I miss
0: us. I miss us. you guys go way back. Way back. <laughs> this doesn't have to be the last time. You see each other or we we talk on the podcast. It's certainly I'm pretty not.
2: sure I, I knew Greg when he had some some hair on his head. I did. That's
0: I did. <laughs> no, that's
1: Steve <laughs> Callahan, but I did have some hair on my head. <laughs> well, not <laughs> everyone
0: can be. You know. Know. <laughs> Greg with hair. That that should be the, the logo for the Upstack podcast. Boom. Yeah. Jacob, Zach, thank you very much. It's been an honor to be with you both. And our I think our first four-person podcast went pretty well, I must say. Yes. And <laughs> and as always, we're scratching the surface here because uh, the onion's gone, so I'm turning to the surface. But uh, <laughs> we look forward to picking up the conversation, watching as sustainability efficiency continues to evolve within the greater industry, not just data center. Um, things are happening. Let's pay attention, let's be curious, and let's tune in the next episode of the Upstack podcast. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Upstack podcast. Don't forget to like or subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you next time.